Welcome back to episode number 24 of the Fadeaway Podcast. I mean, it's no Jordan, but 24 is a pretty big legend himself. Mr. Kobe Bean Bryant, RIP. RIP. What's going on, baby? Not bad. These next two episodes, three and four, that came out. Buddy. Fire, bro. Dennis Rodman is a legend for a lot of things that people don't even really understand. And nobody even knows. Nobody has any clue. They just see, obviously, the personality, the hair, the piercings, and whatever. Imagine they had a podcast to listen to that took a deep dive of things that weren't mentioned on the documentary. Oh, I would listen to that one. Whoa! That's a great podcast. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the Fadeaway Podcast is back. Back to business. All right, so let's uh, let's dive right in, man, because there's a lot of content. And this a is lot just of, episode three today. Yeah, just right. episode three. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of content to go over. Um, big big moments. This is kind of like the pre. Uh, it's it's weird because they keep going back and forth. So a lot of it was on Dennis Rodman, but they it was sort of the pre Bulls run. Yeah, like exactly. right, like how did they get to winning three two three feats in a row? How did they get to Phil right being the guy? So. Without further ado, we introduce Mr. Dougie Collins. Doug Collins, man. So tell us a little bit about uh, Douglas Collins. So Doug Collins, he's more famously known. Honestly, I don't really know. In recent years, he hasn't been coaching. He's been more of an analyst. But I do know. He was in 2010. Philly. Philly. Uh, I do know he's more famously known for coaching MJ and the Wizards. Uh, when MJ was the was the GM, he actually hired Doug Collins, and that yep. will help you know validate the close relationship that we want to talk about, and the close relationship that they had while Doug Collins coached MJ while he was on the Bulls. So, I believe in the it was the eighty six eighty seven season that Doug Collins was yeah he was hired by by Kraus, um, and Kraus believed that they needed a a young coach at the time, a young Doug Collins to match the young energy and the young and the youth of the Bulls at, mm-hmm. at that time. And now, boy, did he have energy! Yeah, and 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 I think that's how MJ and him built the relationship. And it's said that you know Doug Collins was just as competitive as MJ was, and mm-hmm. had just as much fire as MJ did. And they would talk about how Doug Collins would always challenge MJ. He would stack the practices against MJ, um, do anything in his, I guess, power to coach MJ hard. And MJ mm-hmm. obviously respected that. One thing I really wanted to highlight, and because it, it was so like to, for someone to do this in the span of maybe two or three years, I think that's how long um, Doug Collins actually survived, I guess, as the coach. It was from 86 to 89. MJ literally won every single award that you could win as an NBA player. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go through that list. What was it? MVP. Defensive player defensive of the year. Player, scoring dunk champion. Contest, dunk contest. Scoring. I think that's, yeah, like that's, the, the, that's the, the main four. Yeah, he can't win six All-star, man of the year. All-star MVP. All-star MVP as well. Multiple-time All-star. So, you see how MJ starts to flourish as an individual player, and you kind of also see the difference between Phil and Doug Collins, how Doug Collins wanted an offense based and centered on Michael Jordan and to mm-hmm. highlight Michael Jordan, and he obviously believed that Michael Jordan could get them wins. And then it's obviously known that when Phil Jackson came into um, you know, being the head coach, MJ was kind of upset because he was more about the team and not so much yeah. about give MJ the ball. But... I want to know, you know, what your thoughts on, you know, the relationship that MJ had with Doug Collins and how you think, you know, Doug Collins was able to impact MJ and that both to kind of right. just start to get to their winning ways. Yeah, right. So initially when I was looking at um, just sort of the – I knew Doug Collins just because of his time with Philly. Uh, yeah. He coached 
uh, when they had Drew Holiday in the All Star game. They had Lou Will. They were making that playoff run. Evan a Turner. While ago. Uh, Elton Brand, I think, was their center at the time. Spencer Hawes, yeah. if you remember uh, Spencer yeah. Hawes, yeah. So they had a they had a pretty decent squad, uh, making good runs. But I didn't like before that. I've always heard you know Doug Collins, a legendary coach, but I never really actually knew much about him before Philly. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the older we got and the more we learned about you know the NBA and the history, mm-hmm. you obviously learn about his relationship with Michael. And and I'll be honest, like I didn't before this doc didn't even know they were that close. They're they're he says right? they're like they this, were, right? Like, stuck at the hip, and, yeah. and and it had me thinking like, why wh- like why is it that this guy was able to build a relationship with Michael Jordan? So I started to do some deep diving into Doug Collins. So I want to go back to 1973. Let's, let's rewind. Did you know that Doug Collins was the first overall pick in the NBA? Okay, Dougie. Doug Collins was drafted first overall to the Sixers. Nice. Played eight seasons with the Sixers. Nice. Career average, 18 points a game. Oh, he was nice. That is a pretty nice decent stat line, okay? He had a lot of injuries. That's sort of why his career sort of you know, dwindled. But he did average 18 points a game. He was the first overall pick. Uh, he was a four-time NBA All-Star, 76 to 79, so consecutive years. Nice. And uh, consensus first team All American in '73. I'm assuming that's college. Yeah, I don't think the NBA does All American, but nonetheless, uh, he was actually inducted in the College Basketball Hall of Fame in uh, 2016. Uh, So, I mean, in terms of accomplishments, he's up there. He's up there, and in a very, very short span. So that kind of makes sense to me now. The competitive spirit that he had, because this guy was supposed to be playing with Jordan. Like, had it not been for injury, he was drafted in 73. Jordan tail was drafted in 84. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like a guy who would have been, like, tail end of his career, right, out of his right. prime, but still a player, right? So yeah. coming in with that energy and, you know, maybe in his mind, I feel like I missed out on so much basketball because of injury that I want to, you know, make it as a coach or, or right. give them that as a coach. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the competitive spirit and winning, like, you don't get to the first overall pick without being competitive. You don't get to 18 points a game over an eight-year span in the pros without being competitive. So that aspect of it, it sort of just started making sense to me. Mm-hmm. So when you ask me about that relationship with Doug Collins, given his player background, I understand it. Yeah, uh, It's interesting, though, because Phil Jackson also played in the league, and I was trying to make a comparison between a non-player coach and a player coach because nothing surprises me about a first overall pick going and making his offense about one guy. Yeah, because yeah. that he was probably that guy. Right, like, obviously much less talented than a Jordan. Right, but to me it makes sense because growing up he was the guy. The ball went through him. He averaged eighteen points a game, and his assists I think he was at like three and, and a bit. And he was a guard, so mm-hmm. not really that much of a passing guard. Uh, did this score again? I didn't watch this. I'm just going based off you Stats. know box scores. I understand that it's different in in the real game, uh, but these things sort of help us paint that image of who Doug Collins was prior to mm-hmm. making it to the Bulls. So, interesting relationship. And Doug Collins aged horribly because now he, <laughs> he he looks like he's 50 years older. Like, I don't – I'm like, man. It's, he looked mad young. Like, he looked I, mad young. I, I was alive when, yeah. when this was happening. Like, exactly. I was I was here for that. So, weird. But, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really surprise me um, sort of that they had that. But let me ask you this. Do you think that – had he stayed because he led them to their first conference final 15 yes. years he turned the franchise around like he brought yeah. in so when he came in they were 30 and 52 and uh two years later they were 50 and 32 that's a 20 mm-hmm. game improvement in two years mm-hmm. so obviously jordan's getting better and, and elevating but do you think that he would have you know had he stuck around for another year 
would have been able to handle a three-peat because Phil Jackson was just a different breed. It, it's funny that you say your point about coaches and you want to compare Phil to to Doug. You said most likely we weren't we're not we're not you know 100% sure but based off the off the stats Doug Collins was the guy on his team. Mm-hmm. Offense ran through him probably. The numbers kind of show that. Phil Jackson was a role player on the New York Knicks team that won two titles. Right? And that kind of shows it's funny like it's when you look at it usually in the NBA legendary players don't always make legendary coaches they don't they don't or become GMs, or gms like right? michael jordan it's usually it's usually players who maybe didn't play as high as up in the nba or were just role players in the nba that usually become the better coaches which is just it, it's always some sort of correlation between that now i don't think they would have won with doc collins just because we know that they couldn't beat the pistons you know they, they got over the the calves and mm-hmm. you know at that time, they they were saying that the Bulls had a reputation for blowing leads, you know, and which is insane because when you hear about Michael Jordan's story, you don't hear about these first seven years, right? It's almost like they're they're eliminated. No one talks about them. No one talks about how nobody talks about anything other than six championships. Exactly. I just want to make that yeah. clear. <laughs> no one talks about how you know he was scrutinized for not being a winner. He wasn't in that Larry and Magic category, and that's what drove him insane and nobody really talks about that because obviously in hindsight you go six for six whatever 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 he's a legend the best player ever but as far as Duck Collins success going forward I don't think he would have been successful because even if Phil Jackson was successful for two seasons when he took over the helm and went against the Pistons I think the Pistons had implemented those Jordan rules oh we're going to talk about these Pistons because they they were a lot of people don't really know they hear the term bad boy Pistons but they don't really understand yeah that these guys actually were such a part of the culture and, and, and like what 80s NBA basketball was, yeah, was a lot of it, you know, was because of the Pistons. Right. So that Piston defense was aimed to just stop Michael Jordan and let everybody else kind of do their work. An offense that's obviously centered around Michael Jordan, once you stop Michael Jordan, what else is there to do? And you would see, you know, the Bulls almost didn't really have much of a chance going against, going against the Pistons when Doug College coached because – it was a very one-dimensional, I guess, kind of offense. And then you bring in Phil's triangle, and it had, like, what, 33 different options or 33 different scoring opportunities. So as far as Doug Collins' success possibly going forward, I, I think the ceiling was already reached. And and Jerry Krause, we rip on him a lot. He did a great job in figuring it out. Hey, this guy's he hit a ceiling. Let's get rid of him. Let's bring in Phil. Yeah, and that's and that's something that obviously we talked about with Jerry Krause, that he had that eye, yeah. that eye for talent. And actually, it's funny because – when I think of whether he would be able to take them to the championship, and this kind of reminds me a little bit of Dwayne Casey, Nick Nurse, yes, just with yes. a much less, obviously, skilled personnel, having Jordan, Scotty, Dennis, Coach, everybody. Later right? on, yeah. So um, why I say that is when DeMar and Casey were here, one of the biggest issues that we had with Casey was he never made any in-game adjustments. And in-game adjustments means when DeMar is not playing – at all, uh, maybe not up. playing well, change it up. Change Don't it up. go through him. Use other options. Create an offense where it's more than just one or two guys getting their shots. And if Dwayne Casey every 50 games would bench DeMar for the fourth quarter, and that's if he's like three for 30. Yeah. So, the the you know, he rode his guys, and that was something he always said is, I'm going to go to my guys, I'm going to pound the rock, we're going to get better. Dribble handoff to – Right, Lowry and then, or DeRozan, and then Nick Nurse comes in, and he is the the fancy like even as an assistant, he was the one drafting up their offense. A lot yeah. of offensive plays 
and creativity came from Nick Nurse, who coached in I think it was in Europe, right, in, in England. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you got a little more finesse playing in Euro ball, and Euro ball is very different because you don't have the Michael Jordans, you don't have the LeBron James, you have a team of guys that you got to make work together. It's like an oiled mm-hmm. machine, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously you bring in a Nurse, you bring in a Phil Jackson, who, and even Michael said it. He's like, I didn't like Phil coming in, yeah, because he was here to take the ball well, out of my hands. Yeah. I don't obviously as a guy who's you know, obsessed with the game and loves to score, and I made it here based on playing one way. It's not how I play. It's not how I play. And then I think the turning point was one of Kiro's favorite moments, uh, John Paxson in, yeah. in, the, game, yeah, in the finals, yeah, yeah. game five against L.A. So I'm skipping a little bit, but mm-hmm. just the idea of having a coach who creates, you know, different offenses and different options, just based on that and the depth of the East at the time and what they had to overcome, especially with the Jordan rules, I just don't think a Doug Collins-type coach – or that method of coaching would have helped exactly. them at all um, moving forward, moving outside of, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals heading into the, the finals. Because they made it to the Conference Final. Yeah. They won game. They were t- up 2-1 against Detroit. Yeah, they, had, they kind of had it. They did kind of have it, and they gave up three straight, uh, yeah. unfortunately. And then their, the rest is history from right. there on. But that's pretty much for Doug Collins. Like, he, he coached in spurts of three years. He was in Washington for three years. Yeah. He actually coached the Pistons for a bit at the end of the 90s. Nice. Which is pretty ironic because he snapped. So he beat Chicago as a as a Pistons coach and snapped <laughs> a 19-game losing streak that Detroit had against Chicago. And then back when he coached Chicago, he beat the Pistons, snapping a winning streak that yeah. the Pistons had against Chicago. So as a coach, everywhere he's been, he's turned around the franchise. Yeah, good for him. From the past couple of years. So numbers don't lie. He was just always that Mark Jackson type, the Dwayne Casey type. Can't get over the hump. I'm going to get you right there, and then we, we need another guy to come in and just give you that uh, give you that push. But enough about uh, – Before before we finish, actually, I just want right, to just, just take it to the, you know, to the end of the Collins, I guess, coaching career there. Biggest moments, and this this you know it contributes to who MJ became, the, the, the game winner over uh, Craig Elo. That was the first time that Michael Jordan kind of became that clutch winner, last shot kind of guy, and it's and it said you know that that was the first time he ever kind of done, he's ever done something that dramatic, and you know he he gets that ball one dribble, two dribble, hangs in the air for like twenty seconds over Craig, my bam, favorite hits thing the is jumper, he's, go home. he's, run- he's oh. running to his right. And he's like juking and dodging, catches the ball, and then just like a juke left. Two dribbles. And he's like instantly, right when he takes that juke, he's a step ahead. And you yeah. can see Elo like looking up at him. And then he just takes that shot. And he rises up for that shot, and he doesn't move. It's like he's just rising. Straight up. And he's rising, and the shot is perfectly straight as everyone else is moving left in, yeah. in the screen. Like it's <laughs> such a weird pen, but like a beautiful shot very very similar to i think it was was it utah that the, the, it, it was very, very similar, similar to the, the uh, but this i guess one was so, kind way of. more airtime like he was hanging out he, like he was in the air for young ever. mj and then you know you have the iconic moment where he runs and jumps and you know does a fist bump and then because he's cussing out the cussing uh, out the reporters news, right yeah the, the chicago news guys it was like three reporters that Wrote them off, and everyone was like, "These guys are done. They're gonna give up the lead." <laughs> He's like, "F you, F you, F you, F you. go home, guy, go the guy home." Who's always smiling in the in the documentary? Oh, he was me, one bro. of the beat writers. Yeah. And he was saying he's like, one of us predicted four, or one predicted three, three, one predicted four, one predicted five. So he goes, "We're come, we came for you, we came for you, and now we're coming for you." So uh, iconic. But actually, I sent you something on IG that we have to share with our listeners because the Craig Elo shot. So obviously, if you watch the documentary. Uh, you, you see the part where Ron Harper, who uh, was not Jordan's teammate at the time, uh, but he was 
supposed to guard Jordan. Apparently, according to Jordan, he checked him better, meaning yeah. he lined up against him better. His matchup was better. Mm-hmm. All that fun stuff. Uh, so, I think it was a Craig Elo quote. I'm trying yeah. to find it here that I sent to you. Uh, but he goes, I didn't pretty much something along the lines of like, I had no idea that he was this defensive guy, right? <laughs> he goes, all of a sudden he becomes a lockdown defender. Apparently, I don't really remember him during our time wanting to play defense that much. He kind of shocked me with those comments, saying he wanted to guard Michael. So that's a bit of uh, a bit of shade thrown at yeah. uh, at Ron, Ron from Craig. Probably and I mean, he went to the Craig was pissed at the coach. He wasn't. I mean, uh, Ron, Ron was pissed about the coach, not really about Craig. But Craig cl- clearly you know, has some things that he hasn't hashed out with that moment and that shot and what that meant for Cleveland as well. Because I think Cleveland would have gone to the finals. Uh, was that they the Eastern no, Conference final? It, it would have been the Eastern Conference final. And okay. it was said, like, the Bulls and the Cavs were the challengers to the Pistons. The Pistons were still at the top of the, the Eastern right. Conference. So. And that's, that's sort of where MJ and the Bulls took that next step. Exactly. Um, but enough of that. Let's let's get into the, the, Pistons, the man. fun stuff. The bad boy Pistons. Uh, you want to talk about that or Dennis first? Let, let's kind of let's start with the Pistons first, and then let's, just, let's you know let's go with the bad boy let's, Pistons because that was the last time they were even relevant. Exa- Actually, uh, no, no. they won a championship. Yeah, they won a championship. I just want to go over you know that that team: Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, Bill Lambier. Oh, sorry, I want to interrupt you because we had actually somebody reach out on Instagram. Uh, for a question, Damn. it was uh, John Iskander. So shout out to John for listening to the podcast. Uh, let me pull it up here. He did have a question, and I'm gonna talk about this beef I had with Oliver too, on <laughs> on here as well. But he goes, "Hey guys, loving the podcast. Had a thought, and I was looking online for an answer, but couldn't find anything. Figured it'd be great taking a point if y'all are interested. Who was it that Jerry was chasing after so hard in that potentially tanked season? Was there a player he was looking to draft that year, or was he willing to cause this rift with Michael?" Uh, was he looking to get a draft pick to use it as an asset for another player? And if so, who? Um, so I couldn't really find anything specific because the whole the whole Kraus was tanking on purpose thing is not like an official thing. It's just to hear Like obviously we hear from guys around the team and, and obviously they know about it. But there was no official article like, hey, this is our plan that we want to, um, to tank and lose and get that draft pick. So, uh, John, just for you, I pulled up the 1985 NBA draft because that was – the it draft. was the 85 playoffs uh, right after that, the draft. So Patrick Ewing went first overall in that draft. Would have been nice. Would have been nice to have him. Uh, none of these – I mean, Chris Mullen went sixth Chris or Mullen seventh. Was sol- he was a two-guard, though, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't draft him. Detlef Shrimp. <laughs> Detlef Shrimp. Yeah. Uh, he went eighth. Charles Oakley went ninth. Did- uh, Chicago drafted 11th, and Carl Malone went 13th. Okay. Okay, so that's pretty interesting. Where Joe Dumars went 18th. Where did Charles Oakley go? Oakley went to Cleveland. Because they had him. The Bulls had him after that. Yes. Yeah. So he went to Cleveland, uh, and the, the Bulls drafted 11. So I'm not sure if maybe they wanted one of those guys. Obviously, hindsight is 20 at the time. I don't know. wonders with a high draft pick. You don't know. Oh, 100%. And I'm saying, oh, Xavier McDaniel went fourth overall. That's a pretty good pick, too. He was in Seattle. Okay. Uh, had some beefs with, with Jordan as well. So uh, interesting. I'm not sure if that's the reason why, John, so I do apologize. I couldn't really find anything concrete. And uh, for the Oliver thing, we'll get into that at the end because that's more of like a uh, recreational question. So I was just saying the Pistons, Joe Dumars, Bill Lambeer, Isaiah Thomas, Dennis, young Dennis Rodman who played a Rick huge Horn, role. Yeah, John Sally. D- bro, like the list goes on and on. On John Sally's been on like 
14 different dynasties. He's in more movies. It's insane, though. Like, he's in every single dynasty. I don't understand. Bro, you know this guy's not legit when Anne's sitting there watching, hey, this guy's an actor. Yeah, yeah, he's an actor. He's way more of an actor than he is a basketball player. So, but back to the Pistons. They were the big bad boys, I guess. And Chuck Daly, too, the coach. Chuck Daly was a fire coach, legendary coach. Coach Team USA, all that that good stuff. Um, But they're just, their brand of basketball was the hard-nosed, you know, tough physical basketball, which actually it's funny to hear people in the documentary complain about their brand of basketball when people who defend that 90s, 80s, 90s era talk about how physical that era was. Yeah. And that's like um, like almost like their badge of, you know, like, a, like their pride, badge like of honor. honor. Yeah, yeah, badge of honor where, you know, we played the most physical era, but everybody's out there saying, hey, nobody liked how the Pistons played because they, they kind of took away from the beauty of the game, which I understand. I, I kind of agree with that point because mm. basically let, let, I'm going to go over the rules. And yeah, playing, Okay, there's a difference between playing physical, though, and what, they and did, what these yeah. guys were doing because these guys were legit dirty, bro. And I'm not even talking about against Jordan. There was a clip, Everybody. There was a clip against Larry Bird where I swear to you they swiped this guy with a headlock mid layup. And that, it turned into a fight with him and Mahorn. Like, it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, that's not – this isn't a sport, man. Piss me off. <laughs> Piss me off, these guys, man. I have the Jordan rules up right here. Yeah, so there's there's a few of them, right? So, so basically, one of the main Jordan rules was you have to stop Michael before he takes flight. Because, John, like John Telly says, when Michael takes flight, he's not human. So, the idea is to keep him grounded and, you know, push him. Shove him, do whatever you can for him not to take off. Official rules. Um, on the wings, you push him to the elbow and you don't let him drive baseline. Which is... Not letting somebody drive baseline is almost like a... A like, like a, a rule of thumb now. You know, yeah, you don't yeah. let him drive baseline make him go inside into the yeah. paint, right? Um, but obviously, that rule was way more physical. And it was a Jordan thing because how many times have we seen him pull up to the baseline, pull back, and then yeah. do a quick spin move yeah, and come back? Somebody, so bro. he was a baseline rider, <laughs> for a lack of better words. Exactly. So maybe, uh, maybe that. So sorry, dinner up. What's next? When he's when he's at the top, up top. Pause. When he's on top, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to influence him to his left. So they had the hand checking rules back then, where you could have a hand on somebody and kind of influence them you know, their movement and where they could go. So you would influence him to his left side. Third rule, if he breaks any of the rules, you knock him down to the ground. And that's, you saw in Did you talk about the trapping him from the top when he got the ball down low? That's the third rule. Yeah, yeah. He gets the ball at the top of the post or at the post, you trap him from the top. Yeah, so the, and then they asked him, like, what happens if, like, none of these work? He's like, well, that's where Lambert and Mahorn come in and beat the crap out of him. And literally, literally the, the beat the crap out of him. he was taking, even the hits Scotty was taking, like, these you know are crazy? brutal hits, bro. You know the iconic play that where he saves the ball from out of bounds and he does the backwards layup? If Fire. you go back, go back and watch Lambert and watch what he tried. So, Usually in transition, the defender will jump and have their hands up in the air. Right. He evidently tried to hit him so bad and come down, but Jordan did the spin move. So you can actually see in the video that he did one of these. He, like, brings his arms down to try to hit him, and he completely dodges it. So, like, in transition, in the air, and you're trying to go for that, like, there's no place for that. And if you're going to win a championship because you're beating the crap out of everybody on the court, there's got to be some sort of asterisk, bro. Like, come on. I don't know because I wasn't alive at the time, so I don't want to say anything. And obviously, Isaiah Thomas is a great player. Um, I don't think anybody else on that team. He's come out a lot in the past couple of days to kind of defend 
His Man, team, which I haven't, really I haven't, I haven't, I haven't liked what he said. He is hurting his stock, and he's hurting the value of those of those of that team because you know it's it's obvious that team was was dirty, and he kind of he's kind of like almost like oh we didn't get invited to the the Lakers party, the, oh, the Celtics party. And the way party. he speaks to yeah, I hate, I hate that. <laughs> I'm like oh 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 oh. So he's kind of like complaining that the Pistons kind of didn't get there just due just because they were a dirtier team and people didn't really respect how they played. I think if he just didn't make those comments or, you know, he, he if you have to defend yourself so hard, then you obviously might have done something wrong or you might have, you know, done something that you're now realizing maybe that wasn't a good idea at the time. But, you know, the way they played one of them two rings, you can't really complain. It's in history. It's done. They're one of the most, you know, famous teams ever. One of the best defensive teams that ever play. So as, as much as as them being physical kind of hurts their, you know, overall team stock in those mm-hmm. rings, rings are rings. And for a, at least they didn't, you know, switch teams. And there's right. worse things that were done before. No, no, absolutely. And and for a lot of people who don't really know the inside and out because they don't really talk about this in this podcast. But Chuck Daly was the Pistons coach, yeah, right? Yeah. And it was known at the time that the Pistons and the Bulls. Still known today. They don't like each other. Jordan said it. The hate still lasts yeah. till today. Yeah. We don't like each other. Uh, who's the guy in, uh, ep- was it episode, it probably was episode three, um, the big boy. No, it was episode, was it episode three, Horace Grant? Yeah, no, uh, two or Could three. have been three or four. I can't remember, but he Horace called Grant. them a bunch of bees. Yeah, yeah, So there's, yeah. there's clearly still some leftover, you know, pent up anger from those days. And, and I mean, I don't. I don't really blame them, but what people don't really understand was Isaiah Thomas was kept off of the 92 Dream Team, mm-hmm. right? And this is very, very important because Chuck Daly was the coach of that team, wow. who's also his Pistons coach. And it's rumored, I don't know, Jordan denies it, but it's rumored that he goes, if he's on the team, I'm not on, I'm not on the team. I don't, I don't know why it's rumored. I'm pretty certain the 30 for 30 documentary literally talked about how he said, I'm not playing if if, if, yeah. Tom, if Isaiah Thomas is playing. So Chuck Daly had to cut his own player to get, okay, from his, to get Michael. And now, obviously, there's all this you know anger inside Isaiah Thomas because another thing is Isaiah Thomas is from Chicago. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. So he came into the league around the same time as Jordan. Obviously, Jordan became Chicago's sweetheart yeah and who was the number one team to beat chicago detroit pistons and who was their best player isaiah thomas so isaiah thomas had to sit there and live through his own people his own city his own family hating him. literally forget cheering against they they despised him yeah uh who was a mike wilbon in the documentary was like my family we hated my family from detroit yeah you know like and he's probably not even exaggerating yeah because it runs deep there man like a lot of these people who are from the hood like this is all they got like this, the Bulls, the Pistons, sports, football, like that's all they got. And obviously, at the time, like I don't think the Bears were anything. But again, I don't know too much about football to, to divulge. Yeah. But uh, definitely had to live through, you know, Jordan becoming the sweetheart of his own city and his city hating him. Had to live through his coach choosing Jordan over him for the '92 Dream Team. Yeah. And this is all after him winning two championships and playing on broken ankles. And it's like. You know, as a guy, I can definitely understand the frustration of like, man, why do you guys keep talking about this guy when I won before him? I won two championships. Exactly. I played with all these injuries. I'm from here. This is my city. 
So a lot of a lot of anger, and and when Isaiah speaks, you can so see it. Like yeah, yeah, he's trying to be that guy who's like I'm over my my demons, and he was on the one of the podcast. I think it was all the smoke, all the smoke. No, no could have been knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. One of the two, but he was definitely on one of those podcasts talking about that, and he's always saying, you know, I'm over it, I'm over it. He went online with Magic because he had beef with Magic, and they had that thing face to face where they cried and crap. Yeah. There's just so much of, of Isaiah to me that's begging society to believe that he's moved on. But he's not. But through his begging, it's like, bro, you were so mad about this. <laughs> like, like, what do you, what, I, this is a, a quote I saw about the Wilt Chamberlain thing. Did you see that? They changed the rules? Uh, yeah. So yeah. he's like, uh, Wilt Chamberlain told Jordan that they changed the rules so that I couldn't dominate, but they changed the rules for you so that you could dominate. Yeah. It's like, Man, Man, Isaiah, like, I don't want to hear that from you, bro. Like, we don't want to hear nothing about Jordan coming from your mouth. It's just... I want to move on from this, from from Isaiah, but just before we go from that, Isaiah literally came out a couple days ago. He's like, there's one glaring hole in my resume, and it's not being on that dream team, the 92 dream team. So clearly, he's not over it as much as he says he wants to be over it. He's nowhere near being over it. Absolutely. Um, Now... So the Pistons did win two championships, though, and legendary team. Yeah, legendary team. So they they were sort of the buffer between Lakers, Celtics, and Chicago's runs. Yeah, because uh, they were sort of end of nineties, end of eighties, beginning nineties. So there was like that little buffer, and they and they talk about it saying we came in and sort of rained on the parade. Yeah, and they hated us for it. Right. So they did win two championships. They weren't just a team that beat people up, uh, and they have a lot of you know a lot of good players on that team. Yeah. Uh, now some honestly, this is like every time. Dennis Rodman came up on that screen. It was my favorite part of the episode. Like just learning about Dennis and seeing who Dennis was earlier on. I still feel on. like I don't know anything about him. Bro, I want to learn so much. He well, there's so much to learn about him. <laughs> you yeah, can't, yeah, you, can, for you sure. literally can't. You can't like stop learning about him. He's so was different. Was it just me that saw an innocence in his face when they were playing his cottage full uh, college footage and his early NBA footage? And that's what they say. John Sally's like, dude, this kid was so innocent, so naive. He said he would say stuff about like there's nothing like you know going out alone and having a campfire and making your own dinner and looking at the stars like like he was just so so innocent and so naive when he first got drafted and obviously now you see how his personality kind of evolved but even before that like he been through a lot of stuff mm-hmm. he saw a lot of stuff yeah. I'm sure you have the history I have some of it up here yeah so he was. Um he was born to apparently a father who he left his family and ended up moving to the Philippines. Uh, he but has like 87 kids. Bro, bro, yeah, yeah. Rodman bro. himself has stated that he's the oldest of a total of 47 children. Okay? <laughs> so obviously last episode we talked about something that Jordan had in like a little passion to get validation from his dad. Yeah. Right? So he felt like he lived in, in uh, Larry's shadow, yeah. wanted that, you know, that pride, the justification from his dad. So... Rodman kind of lived in the same thing, but it was the complete opposite. He had two sisters that played basketball that won national championships, mm-hmm. great basketball players. And apparently when they used to bring him around, they'd he'd be the laughing stock. Yep. So his mom didn't really like him as much as she liked them. Yeah. She thought they were the basketball talents. And he even talks about it. My mom was tired of me not, you know, providing, uh, providing for the family at eighteen years old. So she kicked me out on the street. Homeless for two years. Homeless for two years. And then somehow some way just luckily ends up in a gym i love his attitude about every time somebody asks him to play for them he's all like, great all right whatever shit yeah let's do it well right. well great okay. like, luckily for me some coach came up to me and asked me to play in college i was like yeah sure why yeah, not sure. <laughs> why not imagine yeah. getting that offer what bro he he averaged 26 and 16 in three years in college and it was a naia naia school i'm not sure what that is probably one of the 
divisions, not yeah. NCAA, but NAIA, who's an All-American. He led rebounding twice, 1985 and 86, in his three seasons there. Put up 26 and 16. Not known as a scorer, put up 26 points a game. And what I love about his game and what he says, he's like, I never knew how to go half speed. And you see it in his game in college, you see it in his game in the NBA. He never knew how to slow it down. He was constantly 100% going 100 miles an hour. You can never slow him down no matter how tired he was. Yeah. He always kept going. So that brings us to sort of his early NBA career. So he gets drafted by the Pistons, and the way that they noticed him was he ended up going to some camp, mm-hmm. uh, won the MVP of that camp, and then he was noticed by the Pistons. He was a second-round draft pick. Yeah. Uh, I think it was 27th overall. Yep. Uh, at the time, there were 24 in each. Because at, f- at first, I was like, wait, aren't there 30 yeah. picks? <laughs> but, yeah, times changed. Times so changed. He was in the second round. He was picked by the Pistons. Uh, and actually, right before the Bad Boys became the Bad Boys is when they drafted him. So he sort of was that missing puzzle piece to what they needed to be what they are. And then so, he gets. he says he gets into his second year, and he realizes what he could do best, and that's defend and rebound. And then he talks about, and this is where, like, one of my actually favorite parts in the in the episode where he talks about how he kind of studied the art of rebounding, how he started, how he studied the players, their tendencies, to the point where he knew how Larry liked to roll the ball off the backboard. Like this guy, like he's legit, like a like a mad scientist in a way where he the way he studies, like he looks insane, dyed hair, green, yellow, blue, red, whatever hair he has, but. He's actually like a real student of the game. He studied, he was like, if the ball went off the rim this way, I positioned myself like this. And he studied angles. He would have people shoot at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning for him just to rebound. How often do you see players studying rebounding? No. Not not well, a chance. They've actually created machines now where it's, they like rebound a little, for you, yeah. it's like a little mesh around the rim and it just shoots the basketball back out of you because you don't want to get the rebound. You don't you, need to rebound. You don't need to rebound, right? And honestly, in today's league, like rebounding is one of those mood stats. It's like, yeah, okay. You grab rebounds. There's no like conclusive statistic that tells you that rebounding earns you wins. Like right. there's, there's no correlation between that. So to see the value and how that's completely dropped off. And I think the biggest – so in Chicago um, – sorry, in Detroit rather, he played a lot of like uh, pretty much every season he played 82 games. Yeah. Uh, never really led the NBA in, in his rebounding until his last couple seasons in Detroit. So this is the championship season. Yeah. So, for a guy at seven, six, seven, okay, he, he looks a lot bigger than he. Sorry, he looks to a lot. It, he plays to a lot put bigger that than in he plays perspective, that is Lonzo Ball's height, six six. He's Lonzo an Ball's inch, six, he's six. An inch taller than Michael. LeBron is six eight. Okay, he's shorter than most power forwards, let alone centers. Yeah, and he played in an era where seven footers were dominating, dominating, dominating the game. So this guy. In his 91-92 season with Detroit, he brought down 18.7 rebounds a game. He led the he led the league for seven straight years or seven years in rebounding. 18.7. Yeah, he led the league for seven straight years. That was the there first one. 18.7. 18.3 the next year. So wow. that's two straight years of averaging approximately 18 points a game. How many points? Sorry, 18 rebounds a game. How many points did he score, you ask? <laughs> 9.8 and 7.5 respectively. What was his field goal percentage? Maybe he's shooting poorly. Maybe he's uh, nope fifty percent over fifty percent. Actually, one of them was forty three percent. That's that's pretty bad. Yeah, twenty percent from the three point line. But uh, <laughs> he shot three as well. Irrelevant. So fifty four percent for the one year. But mainly, what he was there to do was grab rebounds. He averaged upwards of eighteen rebounds a game at six foot seven. And to me, that is 
the epitome of Dennis Rodman's hard work and what he's known for as the guy, you know, we don't win without Rodman. How many times did we hear that? Yeah. We don't win without Phil Rodman. Phil says it. Rodman was that gel while Scotty was gone. He's the one that kept them together in the, in the last season. And what I love about Rodman is that it's been, like, well-documented and well-written about him that he would go out and score – or you can't score zero points, but he would go out and not score a basket in a game and grab 20 rebounds on purpose. It's like, I don't even want to shoot. He says, I want to go in there, get tough, get physical. Like, I want my nose to be broken. Right, so and he, feel the he can feel the pain, and you can see that his play, like it, to, to me at least, the way I would see it, like all of his maybe like you know internal demons kind of went out in how he played, and you know you, that toughness that he had, that that physical ability that he had, the ability to want to get hurt and want to pick fights and want to be tough on the court yeah. and want to be dirty relentless because right. every for every rebound he grabbed, it looked like he was going for his mom's validation yeah his sister's validation like give me that like i want it i'm gonna have it i don't care who says what to me like i don't care who's bigger than me who's older than me like, i don't care and he came out and he did not care and i think the pistons had a, a great impact on him because he was not that physical he was not per se an angry player but they the pistons brought that him. out of him yeah. and brought out the this like the this aggressive guy this i don't i don't f with you like don't mess with me kind of guy yeah. I'm going to come in and do my job, but you best believe I'm not going to just let you hit me or let exactly. you get a rebound over a punk? me. You know no, I mean? not at all. So interesting, interesting approaches there. Uh, he had a wild off-the-court life. Before that, let's just this is how it kind of, I guess, started. Um, in February 1993, Dennis goes missing, and his friend calls 911, and they find him at the Palace of Auburn Hills, which is the old arena for the Pistons, with a gun. Yeah, in, in his car, he's, he, with a rifle, and he, it's, it's. I mean, it was registered. I don't know what he was doing with it, but um, what he was saying, he was like, "It was dark times in my yeah. life, but luckily I fell asleep." So I don't know what he was gonna do. We hope what his plans were there. Yeah. But uh, he, did you know that he dated Madonna for a brief bit? And she's the one that's apparently brought out the Dennis Rodman in him. You know, Bro, she's let like, me, "Let me let me reiterate this story." So he went on the Breakfast Club, and he was um, he was talking about this this story with Madonna. So they dated for two months, mm-hmm. and she calls him. She's like, yo, I'm ovulating. I need you to put a baby inside me. Oh, my. He's like, like, actually, like a wow. child, child? She's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll hook you up with, like, a private jet. Like, I need you to get over here now. What? I'm legit ovulating. He's he's playing poker at, in Vegas. So he stops. Mm-hmm. He le- Oh, sorry. She said, if you impregnate me, I will pay you $20 million. Oh, okay, nice. Okay? That's a good deal. So I'll give you 20 mil. I don't know if it's like, hey, I'll give you 20 mil. Just don't be the father. Like, I just want this kid yeah, for myself yeah, yeah. kind of thing. I don't know what the deal exactly was. I can't remember. But there was a an offer of twenty million in place for a baby, mm-hmm. and uh, he got up from his poker table, got on this private jet, went, smashed, came back, continued his hand at no, Vegas. I swear to Bro. God, at, le- at least that's the story that he tells on 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 radio. So he was boys with Rocket Man, according to PK. I'm not sure who. I'm Rocket not, I don't know who Rocket Man is. is. Kim oh, Kim Jong-un. Jong-un. Yeah, he was boys with him. You're right. The you're kid, right. You're right. The yeah. Kid. So. Definitely uh, an interesting off-the-court fellow. And he always says, like, and Jordan alluded to this too, he's like, I can play basketball for free. Apparently, he makes more, more money off the court. So, I don't know. Yeah. And, he, and he's very extravagant with his pink hair. And mind you, this is a time in the league where... This is not acceptable at all. No, no, no. Like, there's, there's a definition of being a man in the 80s. Yeah. All right? and, and being a man in the 80s, a black man in the 80s, not that I'm black and no, but just based on culture and learning and all that, mm. you don't wear a pink head of hair. You, you don't, don't wear makeup. 
he wore makeup. Like the there's outfits. a there's outfits. There's it's like a like a bit of a drag outfit. Like he's yeah. dressed up as a woman. He's got the hood. He says, you know, I just like to be me. I like to be that person. He's very eccentric. Uh, the gay is not the word because he was dating flamboyant. women. Flamboyant. It, like he was just Dennis Rodman is so uniquely Dennis Rodman. But that there's still Dennis like Rodman. ever since seeing that footage of him in college and like early NBA. I feel like his innocence was stripped yeah. from him because of this money and the fame that he... Possibly, like, man. It looked to me like, man, he was just this kid who wanted to cook his meals outside and yeah. watch the stars, stars, and now he's wearing makeup and, like, mm-hmm. hit, well, his nails were done in the, yeah, in the documentary, is. but yeah. uh, from the Joe Bonner podcast, apparently Maul does his nails, too. Did you know that? I did. I saw that, and I was kind of confused. I don't know yeah, why Yeah, so apparently it's a thing, man. Apparently it's a fad know. that's going on. I'm not sure. I'm never going to support that. Fast forward three years, we're all, we're all we're, doing that. We're, we're all wearing <laughs> nail polish. But yeah, interesting fellow, definitely off the court. He he dated a bunch of other people Carmen like Electra. Carmen Electra, who wow. was in episode four, and Buddy. Oh, Buddy. Did she age well? Yeah. The Vivica Fox, I don't know who that is, but the most crazy one that had me tripping was he dated the Lakers owner, Genie Bus. He actually yeah. played a bit for the Lakers as well. And uh, you know who else dated Jeannie Buss and, like, famously dated Jeannie Buss? You know. Phil. Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson also dated her. For time. For time. I don't know if they were married almost. Yeah, man. They had had that mutual breakup online where they, like, released the thing. Like, hey, we both really care for each other, but it's just best. And he was still working for the the Lakers or the Knicks or whatever it was. Very, very weird dynamic. And, like, I coached this guy when he was a kid, and now I'm dating his ex. It's just, (laughs) like, it's a whole dynamic. But Dennis is just that guy. It would not be Dennis without those curveballs for sure. So, Dennis gets caught, you know, with the gun in the, in the car. Police pick him up, find him. And then later, maybe 10 days later, the Pistons actually trade him to the Spurs. Mm-hmm. And then that's where he starts to become Dennis Rodman, the colored hair, the eccentric outfits. Breaking and out, then, being right, a rebel, not getting, getting kicked out of the games, whatever it may be. So, the Spurs drop him from the team. And then he kind of takes a little bit of a hiatus. And then in the 94, 95 season, I believe he meets at, it's either Phil or Jerry Krause's house. Jerry Krause. I, I I actually also watched his Hall of Fame speech, and he says he met at Phil's house. So that's where I'm. Oh know. really? So because Phil was the one that said Krause. So. Exactly. So whatever. whatever they met, they met, and those and three were present. What I love about it is how much it kind of shows who Phil is, and it shows exactly who Dennis Rodman is. Mm-hmm. Phil walks in. He's like, <laughs> Dennis doesn't even stand up or take off his hat to meet me. He's and then Phil goes, stand up, Dennis, take off your hat, give me a handshake. He's like, let's talk. And then the the best phrase, <laughs> he's like, Dennis Rodman goes. We had to break bread at Phil's, at Phil's house that day. I remember at Jerry's house that day, bro. That, that phrase kills me, man. To break bread. And then, you know, they ask him, you, know, you want to come through and play for the three-time champion Chicago Bulls? Like, I mean, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Oh, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then they take him, man. And then, and, then and mind you, like, this is crazy because we were just talking about the bad boys and Chicago Bulls' major beef, and Rodman was right there. So, well, like, this is, like, crazy. Like, this is, I would say, even – more like wild than when LeBron or when Ray Allen left Boston to go way, to Miami. Way more wild. And then when it, when you when you watch this episode, even watch after you watch the fourth episode, I went and watched Dennis Rodman's Hall of Fame speech, and he talks about that moment where he meets Phil, meets Jerry. Phil says he's like Scotty is in the other room. Go apologize to him for 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 pushing him. That there's that one hit he pushed him down so hard that you really could have injured him. He's like go apologize to him. He's like all right. He goes apologize to Scotty. Done deal. Isn't He's that the hit where they were saying like this exact moment is when the Bulls exactly ex- exuded their like yeah we will beat the crap out of exactly. you we won't even be phased by your crap okay. exactly so that, so was, that was the hit, hit. Um, but you know it, obviously you you talk you talk about how 
this guy was an arch enemy of the Bulls, comes on to, and joins the Bulls. Mm-hmm. So that's point number one. Number two, you also got to look at, you know, the Bulls and Jerry and and Phil and Scotty and Michael and how they accepted mm-hmm. having him on the team. And not only him, Ron Harper was also not an enemy of the Bulls, but an opponent of the Bulls. Mm-hmm. So the Bulls kind of have this thing where they're taking their opponents and either creating champions out of them or using them yeah. to their own benefit. Uh, to to that point, though, I want to rewind because I feel like we're both doing the Chicago a major injustice here. So the the Bulls had lost to the Pistons three straight years in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And what did they do to get better? Did they go out and get somebody in free agency? No, did no. they tank? Did they sign anybody? They did, harder. Did, did Jordan leave and team up? They literally talk about the entire roster. Like the day after they lost to the Lifting Pistons, weight. just so yeah. angry, hit the weight room. And Jordan put on 15 pounds of muscle. Yeah. And they were saying he just kept going and going and going. And we'd set him a maximum amount of reps and he would burst through that. And like that to me is such a major difference between him and, you know, say a LeBron in that argument. Because not saying that, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers didn't, you know, crap the bed when LeBron was there because they absolutely did. And and he left with just reason. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this guy took his whole roster and said, we are not good enough, we're not strong enough, we are going to get better. We're going to get bigger, and we're going to get stronger. Yeah. And then they beat them, and they ended up winning three championships. And all this happened before they got Dennis. Dennis. Yeah. So I don't oh. want to make it seem like, you know, like they they lost and then they got no, Dennis. No, no, not at all. Because like, that would be doing them a major injustice. Yeah. But they do have, like, you know, it's kind of like how, you know, everyone talks about Dwayne Wade as being one of – you know, the most, I guess, humble superstars ever mm-hmm. to be like, yo, I need a guy like LeBron. I need a guy like LeBron to win. You can say that about Steph Curry. I need a guy like KD to come to come that was win. more Draymond, but... Whatever you, you, you know, whatever you want. I mean, Steph for sure had some sort of input on that de- on that, that deal right. happening, right? And he did. And Draymond right. talked about, like, put them all in a group chat, said, yo, you down? Exactly. Yeah, we're done. So you look at, you know, MJ, Scotty, they've already won three rings, and these guys are like, yo, how can we evolve? How can we get better? Jerry, same. Phil, same. And they bring in Dennis, and then... I remember they asked Scotty, how did Dennis fit when he came in? And he was like, he fit like a glove. <laughs> like like so a hand in a glove. I don't know. His voice is so damn deep, bro. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like so I guess that's the introduction to Dennis. Um, you know, the more you learn about him, the more you kind of see what's maybe under right. the, the, the crazy and, outfits. And, and I think that they do go into a lot more detail in f- episode four as well yes. in terms of his stint actually with the Bulls. Yeah. Uh, but what we do know about is that he came in there in the beginning – uh, when Pippen wasn't playing, yeah, and that's when he had demanded the trade. He didn't want to play, uh, so then I believe it was Rodman was just being the guy. Like he was playing well. This is the last season. Was, this is in the '98 season. Yeah, yeah, and he loved having that feeling of like, okay, Jordan relies on me. Jordan needs, needs me, me to be yeah. who I am. Yeah, um, which translated into a bit of role ambiguity when Scotty came back because yeah. he was like, am I really as important as I was? Like, do they need me to be who I am? And Sort of that's that's sort of how they ended it too, and they're like he came back, Scotty came back, and he felt like a, like a little weight was lifted off his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to be this guy anymore. Like I need to get away and have a vacation and you know un- unwind. And he ends up going to Vegas and for forty eight hours. For forty eight hours. hours. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll talk a bit about that in episode four, but th- this is more so just the beginning uh, of, of Dennis, his I Chicago guess. time yeah. slash the forming of Dennis Rodman into being. Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman just because you know after his stint with the Bulls uh he ended up just like he didn't really have that long of an NBA career and then ended up like playing in like the UK no, he had, in like 06 or something not had, long but like he had a good career he just he didn't it was very like split up yeah sporadic yeah, yeah sporadic career um 
but yeah, I mean that's that's the beginning. We where we leave off in that episode is Dennis disappears for forty eight hours. We don't know what happens. We don't know yeah. how he comes back, and then we'll discuss, I guess, the aftermath of yeah, his, sure. his and, Vegas partying. And he did spend um, seven years in Detroit. That was his first seven years of his career. Wow. And he won two championships. So they they didn't win. Then he won two. Then they didn't win. And then they then he then he left. Then he went left. to San Antonio for whatever reason. Obviously, we discussed. Um, but I wanted to talk about quickly before we sort of end this off. I was looking at a lot of these guys. So Bill Ambeer, career stats, 13 points, 10 rebounds a game, decent player. Rick Mahorn, career stats, 7 points, 6 rebounds, decent. Very not decent, actually. John Sally, 7 points, 5 rebounds. So a lot of these guys who are like the main go-to guys, they weren't like Scotty level offensive no. players. They weren't Jordan level offensive players, but they made it happen. Chuck Daly is a legend. I'm sure there's something out there on the Bad Boy Pistons. I think you guys should definitely take a look. And uh before we end, I'm gonna open this up to you because I was beefing Oliver. Yeah. In our DMs. And uh it was when I we made a post, it was like uh it was a quote from Draymond saying we would kill Shaq in a in a Steph Curry Draymond pick and roll, mm-hmm. uh, and the votes were like heavily. It was like seventy five percent in favor of shut up Draymond. Yeah, like you're incorrect. Yeah, uh, and then we got to talking because honestly, I don't think that he's incorrect at all. To be honest with you, like it's not it's not outlandish to think that on the perimeter with Steph Curry being your shooter that you'd burn Shaq in a pick and roll. Like you don't Sh- think Kobe Shaq's, can guard against the pick and roll enough to save Shaq? It, I mean, if Sha- if Kobe's in there, but the whole point was he hey, but, was talking but Shaq about is part of the team. No, no, I get it. Sorry, Draymond, Draymond's point was I set the best screens in NBA history that I can no. maneuver and kill Shaq in a pick and roll with Steph. And I, I absolutely think so. I think I think it's outrageous no, to say it's like I, disrespectful, but it's not outlandish to think that a slow guy is not going to maneuver while on the on the perimeter. And again, in reality, like because he was telling me realistically, I get it. In reality, it's probably never going to happen. Like, why would Shaq be on the perimeter? Guarding anybody, there's no reason for that to ever happen. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, if if he were to ever get brought out that far, it's not the, it's not the, outlandish. The, the, the the big hole in that statement is, I guess, German Draymond would have to be playing the five. Yeah. So no Javale, no Zaza Pachulia, who were playing the fives at that time, and no Andrew well, Bogut, I guess. Death lineup because he ne- was talking about because the AD I guess was death playing lineup. the four, and then he mm-hmm. was the five. Yeah, you know. He has a very good point, I think. Um, but it's also a safe point. That's what I, It's a safe point. It's tell. an easy point to make. And that's what I'm yeah, trying to tell yeah. Oliver. It's like, okay, like, he didn't really say anything. Like, oh, I mean, Shaq doesn't move. He's seven foot forever. He's not going to come out to the three-point line. He's it's, not going to come out to the... And if, if he does, he's going to get wrecked by, by one Steph. of Steph or Draymond. Like, it's not an outlandish point. It's, it's a situation that's never going to take place. So yeah. maybe, I mean, we'll never know. And Draymond Green needs to shut up, absolutely. So... Don't get me wrong, but uh, that was pretty much the beef that we had there. So shout out to Oliver, shout out to John for reaching out and uh, giving us some some content to talk about. And uh, that's it for for part three of for the three, Last yeah. Dance. Uh, we got episode four coming out later on this week. So ladies and gentlemen, keep hitting us up with questions. Uh, keep watching the doc, and if you have any ideas for us, let us know, baby.